Thank you, Mr. Douglas. Yeah. Ooh, we're in double digits territory now. Welcome back to our run-through, breakdown, and exploration of Secrets of Power, Volume 1. Written by Ingo Swan. It's wonderful you're here. I can feel the power surge through you. <laughs> if you're fumbling along with me, happy November time. Or whatever time it may be for you in the time you're listening to this. May the times be pleasurable, informative, expanding, and evermore generative for you and those around you. Let us expand our awareness and generate more empowerment for ourselves by breaking down chapters 10 and 11 here. Without further ado, let's do this thing. Chapter 10, Empowerment and Depowerment versus Power Games. The idea of power games, Ingo says, is a popular and standardized frame of reference, easily thought of as having relevance to empowerment. So it's assumed that all one has to do in order to climb this or that power ladder is to figure out the power games well enough. How is the corporate intrigue working here? However, the concept of power games has limited application with regard to empowerment, true empowerment, but also with what actually goes on within actual power structures, actually. So to begin this breakdown of power games, let's take a look at some official definitions of the word game, as found in any competent dictionary. 1. Amusement, diversion, fun, sport. 2. A procedure for gaining an end, or a field of gainful activity. 3. A physical or mental competition conducted according to rules, with the participants in direct opposition to each other. 4. A set of rules governing a game. 5. A situation involving opposing interests given specific information and allowed a choice of moves, with the objective of maximizing their wins and minimizing their losses. Ingo says, etch these definitions into your mind, especially the ideas of being given specific information and being allowed a choice of moves. It's important because control authority and influence over others depends on what types of information can and can't be given in order to achieve and retain, yes, that control, authority, and influence over others. It is all a game. Merovingian, The Matrix. Power Games versus No Power Games If you recall from Chapter 7, there's one generic type of specific information that's hardly ever given to anyone. That information is specific to knowledge of power itself and to the ways and means of gaining empowerment, right? We're never directly accessing any of that information. Information not given regarding power and empowerment can be referred to as a no game. It's off the board. It's not a part of the prescribed rule set. Not giving information helps ensure that no games regarding them will come into efficient existence. If they're not a part of the game, they won't enter the game in any particularly disruptive way. Hmm. Ingo goes on. No games can be thought of as a situation of opposing interests such as the powerful versus the powerless, 
the lesser of which, the powerless, is not given specific information, so as to minimize or obviate a choice of moves against the greater, the powerful. If you don't think you got these options, if you are not aware of particular options to take, avenues of actions, inquiry, activity, what have you, you're not going to go for them. You're not going to take them. They're not going to be in your own head. And therefore, you are limited to the prescribed rule set provided for by the powerful. Modern society. Hey, the objective of the powerful is to erase and prevent game situations from developing between them and the powerless. It is rather certain that power structures contain both game situations and no game situations. These moves are off limits. These over here you can do, like eating bugs. Yeah. If one thinks that learning to play power games is all one has to do, one will at some point be in for some surprises and painful defeats. Games as rackets. Most competent dictionaries give racket as one of the definitions of games, but they don't elaborate upon that meaning. So some functional definitions of racket are, one, a fraudulent scheme, enterprise, or activity, a usually illegitimate enterprise made workable by bribery or intimidation. Three, an easy and lucrative means of livelihood. Ingo breaks down the etymology of game as best he can. He first says it's not really that certain, but it seems to derive at least in part from gammy, which term is not found in most contemporary dictionaries. However, the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language indicates it early referred to hunted animals and as a slang to the smell of overripe dead flesh. At about 1890, gammy was drawn into English from tramps slang, with the meaning of bad or not good, regarding two activities or situations that stink. Hmm. It's possible that gammy was derived from the French word gamby, meaning crooked. Uh, dictionaries of modern slang refer to game as on the game, where the original meaning being associated with prostitution. William Shakespeare referred in his work Troilus and Cressida, 1606, to prostitutes as set them down for slattish spoils of opportunity and daughters of the game. At about 1739, on the game was given another nuance as actively engaged in burglary. Are you on the game? What are you doing in that guy's house? Are you on the game? Right, I think we've got it, all right. Power games as gammy power games. If one examines the general anatomy of power games, it's impossible to think that they can ideally be fitted into the official definitions of games, at least the type that are played with obedience, and the limits of established rules and guidelines. They tend to be Machiavellian in their working premises. Machiavellian power games. So this concept of Machiavellianism is attributed to Niccolo Machiavelli, 1469-1527. In his writings, in particular The Prince, he wrote about politics and how politics, from its foundation, it's fundamentally amoral. And there, you know, you just basically anything, anything you can do to seek out your ends uh, will justify the means. The ends justify the means when it comes to political power. There, are, there is no moral or ethical base when it comes to political power in referencing Machiavelli's The Prince. He's a piece of shit, but he's a prince, yes. In achieving this political power, it's more often than not using secrecy, cunning, duplicity, clever management, and corruption, opportunizing on bad faith. And so, Machiavellianism became a synonym for amoral cunning 
and for justification by power. Apparently, according to Ingo, in another one of his works, Machiavelli attempted to propound a general theory of politics and government that stressed the importance of uncorrupted political culture and vigorous political morality. That one didn't really take hold, though, did it? That's okay. In our growing awareness, we are bringing awareness to alternatives and opportunities for a different way. A way that maybe, you know, we can all get behind a little easier rather than, oh, that guy stinks. Yeah, but that guy stinks more. Vote for this guy. He stinks less. Forget that. The lesser of two stinkies is not a game I want to play. Speaking of games, power games with regard to deep powerment. Power games ultimately imply outcomes involving winners and losers. And the emphasis usually gravitates towards the optimistic potentials of winning, whether by means fair or foul. But what's not usually considered is that uh, people will often seek out ways to depower their opponent, rather than empowering themselves. You can level yourself up or you can level your opponents down. Ingo says power games are not really linked too closely to the concept of may the best man or woman win. Everything considered about them provides equal opportunity for the worst who can also win. And wouldn't it be one of the worst people to win to exercise this kind of depowerment on others? I think so. So then, a part of power games pretty much requires an in-depth working knowledge regarding depowerment of others, especially contenders and opponents. This type of working knowledge is even more important than a working knowledge of empowerment. The term depowerment is so important to some that it doesn't even exist in common language. Hmm. And it's interesting when you type in depowerment in any Word document or email, those red squigglies pop up immediately. It's like, well, this is not a word. It doesn't exist. What are you talking about? And yet it seems to be going on everywhere we look. Power Games versus Power Objectives One of the principal reasons for discussing the more complete context of power games is to be able to point out the idea of games consisting of frames of reference that are probably useless in open fields of power, power gaining, and of power making. It's logical to think that the power is not gained, made, or achieved merely in order to play games with it. Power is not only pursued, but is proven and made apparent by gaining objectives. And here we go into a little defining. The noun an objective is defined as 1. Something toward which effort is directed, or an aim or an end of action, and 2. A strategic position to be obtained or purpose to be achieved, usually via militant design and planning. So given those definitions of frames of reference for games and acquisition of objectives will actually not mesh very well. The concept of power games, Ingo says, something of a ruse, used to socially obscure the more serious aspects of power objectives. It's not too much to say that the concept of power games will interest and fascinate only the naive. And it's fair to observe that power games and pursuit of power objectives do intermix at certain points. The games that we are aware of being played are not games that are actually fully fleshed out with the rules in which they are actually played. There are rules presented, and then there are unwritten rules that are adhered to that have nothing really to do with the game, but everything having to do with power over those playing. The game is to hold power over the game itself. There's another game being played! A game within a game! 
But that's a really interesting point, you know. So here we are trying to educate ourselves, trying to empower ourselves, trying to figure this shit out. And what we're hearing, what we're reading, what we're being told here by Ingo is that, yeah, sure, you know, you're going to get a little bit of it. But if you're only looking at the way the game is being portrayed and played on the surface of society, you're not getting the full picture. In fact, you're getting a prescribed set of rules that are baked in to keep you only playing this one game. And the real game is actually running the game that you think is the only game being played. Right. It's exhausting. But knowledge of the actual game is sure to bring on more opportunity for individual personal empowerment. Rather than running around in circles, attempting to play a game that has been simply set up to be played, like a, like a, like a hamster cage. Yeah, you can run on the wheel, sure, you can go through the tubes, but really, at the end of the day, we're all just here watching you and laughing. Oh, look at you go. Mm. You like that little food pellet? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to wonder. Okay. Items to imagine. Imagine slash design six methods or more to depower power opponents beyond the first most obvious and permanent way. You know, killing them. What's a good way to depower some people? Six methods. Limit their awareness of their options. In the case of GPS, there are plenty of other routes you could take, but here are the ones that we want you to take. Oh, and they just happen to have tolls. Hmm? The only way to pursue a particular form of employment is to first gain all of these certificates, say by taking a four-year-long exposure to what some would say is higher education, general censorship, access to nutrition, or lack thereof, exposure to certain technologies. I mean, here we are talking about the Green New Deal which is all about wind and solar, but they're talking about these massive uh, green energy factory farms. When really, if every single household just had some solar panels and a small wind turbine that all fed into neighborhood battery banks, that decentralized form of power would be far more efficient than our current power system is now being delivered across miles and miles of copper wire with a whole bunch of energy bleed out so that the energy being pumped from the station dissipates greatly when it gets to your place. If energy generation was closer, you would have a more efficient energy system, wasting less, causing less pollution simply by wasting less. And it's green and it's, you know, individuated so that if one neighborhood goes down, you could tap into another neighborhood for emergency power. Oh, but no, don't think about that. We need our power generator companies to maintain their, their professional corporate hold over our energy consumption. Yes, they know what's best for us. Sure. Massive proponent of decentralization. Thank you, Russell Brand. I'm a fan. Okay, thanks. That was a ramble, but a short chapter. After this break, we'll pass through the two pillars that are chapter 11. You get it, because the one and the one's like the pillars you walk through. Okay, we'll be back. Chapter 11. 
rules, quote unquote, for power deployed within powerdom. Ingo begins chapter 11. The aspects of power so far identified contribute to a mix of information bits that can help unfold a larger grasp of the nature of power per se, and societal power in particular. But it's necessary at this point to consider a particular tendency that is lavishly spread throughout human nature. It's a widespread assumption that all things have rules, and that if the rules can simply be identified, one can figure out maybe achieve some kind of mastery over the works or functions of whatever's involved. And this is often referred to as playing by the rules or playing by the book. And it's thus that many seek empowerment by trying to find out what the rules of power are. So, Ingo goes on, The first need of the powerful is to establish and enforce order so that a power structure can take shape and be maintained in an orderly fashion. As it is, though, any given power structure is ordered principally to suit the desires and goals of the top-level powerful, right? And it's in this sense that all power structures, large and small, are malleable artifices in which power over others takes orderly shape to be maintained if the others follow the orderly rules designed for them. Designed for them. Not for the people who are bringing down the power rules onto you. No, no, no. They don't really operate with those rules. It's rules for thee and not for me. Rules for me and not for thee. Which is not really a society I want to be a part of. If that's how it's going to be played. Love to have a hand in shaping society for the better, where we all get to play by a set of rules that are beneficial and can help us all, individually and collectively. Okay, how are components as plastic and malleable? Malleable is defined as, one, susceptible of being fashioned into a different form or shape, and two, capable of being shaped by beating with a hammer or by the pressure of rulers. Ingo says it is worth mentioning here that the hammer is, of course, the universal symbol of force power, while pressure rollers, I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, cookie dough rollers, have often been used uh, to picture social conditioning. Just get into the shape and flatten out. I'm going to iron out and push out all the wrinkles. All your wrinkles of individuality will be rolled out, and you will conform and be cookie-cutter ready. The components can also be thought of as being plastic, capable of being molded or modeled, adapted, easily bent, folded, twisted, or manipulated. Manipulation is, of course, the chief frame of reference for societal power itself. And thus, power and its components are plastic and pliable. Power is not set. It is this situation that makes it so difficult, especially for the powerless and the depowered, to identify the rules, if any, of power and power-making. And that's really interesting. There aren't really any rules. It's almost as if the one rule is simply claiming your power innate within you. Claiming it and saying, cool, I have power. I will cultivate more of this. And being in that dialogue with power, because power is, will allow you to open up to power, to allow power to express itself more fully in more multifaceted ways through you, because the way power will express itself through you is going to be different from anybody else, because we are all wonderfully different. And that's, I would think that's a good thing. That's a good way of projecting and uh, portraying power 
by allowing it to shine through your very particular prismatic lens of self in the way that it will. But that, like, that's the only real, it's the, the one and only rule is to say power exists, I am powerful, I claim my power. And trusting in yourself and in the power emanating from you, that you will continue to grow in your expression, understanding, and relationship with power. You got to claim it. You got to claim it. And in exposing ourselves to this wonderful breakdown of the secrets of power, we are, in effect, providing more avenues and opportunities for power to express itself through us. Yeah. The nature of rules. In order to plunge into this plastic complexity, it's advisable, Ingo says, to point up official definitions of certain terms that have significance to the entire power puzzle. The several definitions for the term rule as the noun establish that there are different types of rules, not all of which are consistent with each other. One, a prescribed guide for conduct or action, a rule. Two, a generally prevailing quality, state, or mode. Three, an accepted procedure, custom, or habit. The rules of the road. Four, the laws or regulations prescribed by the founder and or order of observance by its members. Those who are naive or innocent of powerdom's internal workings might assume that such rules would be based on the first definition above, the prescribed guide for conduct or action. This can be partly the case with regard to artificial power, but exponents of force power and stealth power think such prescribed guidelines are mere laughing matters. The only rule of power is that power rules. Rules, quote-unquote, oh, that was me, that was me, that was my quote, the only rule of power is that power rules. Although I'm sure that somebody much smarter said that before me. Ingo says, rules derived from accepted procedures, customs, or habits tend to be more universal within power structures because they're grokked sort of instinctively or intuitively. For example, it's customary or habitual to stand aside or make way for the powerful. Also, do not bother them too much. Make way for the king, make way for the queen. And I will admit, in my younger years, saw this one time, uh, actor and celebrity Greg Kinnear. I saw him at a ski resort. We're skiing with the family. We were all just, you know, in the mid-mountain, they have this massive lodge where you sit down, you order a $15 burger and a $7 bottle of water because they got you. They got you on the mid-mountain and you're hungry. So, we, you know, I was with my mom. We sat down, started eating, and I looked over her shoulder a couple tables down. I'm like, holy shit, that's Greg Kinnear. And he saw me recognize him and he just shook his head slowly back and forth uh, from left to right, saying no, as in do not acknowledge me. I don't want to deal with that. And so I just nodded at him as to say, I see you, I recognize you, and I understand, and we'll comply. And I didn't. I didn't go up to him. I didn't bother him. I was like, shit, that's Greg Kinnear. All right. But yeah, look at that. Don't bother the powerful. And at that point, I did perceive celebrities as, uh, you know, powerful, so I didn't want to bother him. This kind of thing, Ingo says, holds true from the bottom upward of most societal power structures. Even those invested with high artificial power tread softly in the presence of the truly powerful. The fourth definition, number four, the laws or regulations prescribed by the founder of an order for observance by its members, is relevant to many aspects within any power structure or organization. There are usually several or even many power cliques and elites within a given power structure. I've seen those middle managers chitter-chatter with each other. I've seen it. But that's, you know, artificially imposed. Let's all adhere to the corporate guidelines, yeah. 
Deployment of rules for power. So, Engo says, power itself cannot be deployed with respect to power objectives. Power ultimately remains something akin to an illusory figment, no matter how attractive the figments seem. If power is examined and studied in the open field, most people have very little or no idea what deployment consists of. This lack permits a significant deficit in grokking, not only power itself, but the processes of empowerment and depowerment. To deploy is taken into English from the Latin displicare, which means to scatter or display. Some official English definitions are 1. To spread out or arrange strategically. 2. To place in battle formation or appropriate positions. 3. To extend a military unity, especially to achieve width and depth. By its suggestive nature, deployment of power and power rules tends to be achieved via some covert method. But if power rules are to be known widely, publicly, they need to be overtly displayed somehow. And the term display, which is also taken from the Latin displicare, but rather means to scatter in ways that are visible, display refers to an eye-catching arrangement, think Christmas windows, or two, a device that gives information in visual or linguistic form on behalf of communications and understanding. A heads-up display, a HUD, a user interface, anybody who plays video games, we know. It turns out that there can be and always are at least two major types of rules for power. Those made visible and those cocooned in secrecy. Ingo says, the visible rules are important only to those who assume that their authenticity applies to everyone within a given societal power structure. However, those seeking empowerment within the context of the visible rules are in for some surprises and not a little stultification. Covert rules for power and their equally covert deployment constitute one of the major secrets of power. It is somewhat difficult to identify and piece them together when it comes to deployment of power. The concept of power making. Our species is a power species. The elements and faculties having to do with power are innate in each of us, at least to one degree or another, and those elements are conditioned by socio-environmental forces, which can deploy factors that decrease empowerment and increase depowerment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This conditioning whips us around and fogs so thick you can cut it with a knife. But it also serves to obscure a certain factor that's important to any thinking about power. Our power species may have innate endowments and faculties regarding power, but visible and tangible manifestations of power have literally to be made. They have to be fabricated, produced in both objective and subjective terms in order to take on presence, visibility, and meaning. These faculties need to be put on display. You've got to put them out there in some kind of visible way in order to have weight, value, meaning. In order to impress your power onto the world. Otherwise, it's just you in your head saying, I'm powerful! Indeed, the first four definitions of to make are entirely relevant to power making. One, to cause to happen or to be experienced. Two, to cause to exist, occur, or appear, or to create. Three, to favor the growth or occurrence of. 4. To bring into being by forming, shaping, or altering materials, i.e. materials physical or psychological. 
it can ultimately be realized that the rules for power are most likely not only designed or set up by power makers, but also enforced by them. Sure. So this case can be determined by what happens to the rules when a visible power maker is caused to undergo denouncement or rejection and is suddenly removed from that position of power. <clears throat> Epstein. A period of power transition then follows, in which the rules of power become wobbly or entirely uncertain. Ingo uses the French Revolution as an example. By using power makers as a starting point, the following five-part scenario can be unfolded regarding rules for power. 1. Makers of power. It can be supposed that power makers are above all rules, but make the rules for all others. The only real distinction is that visible power leaders must at least appear to follow certain rules. Power makers have no rules. They establish rules for others. 2. Primary executives of power makers. Power makers need executives so as to have a cadre through which their power can be established and exercised. Now here is the first realm of artificial power, which are aspects of power that are delegated, given to these executives, providing that they accept, know, and obey and enforce the rules set by the power makers. Three, secondary executives. These secondary executives obey the primary executives, but these uh, two foregoing categories usually make up what's called uh, power bureaucracies of given societal power structures. But they're always, you know, fighting with each other. Give me the power. I want the power. I'm better than that dude. Let me do that. I can break it. It's cool. Put me in position. Well, forget that. Here you are just asking for a bigger crumb. If it's a virtuous structure, a structure that's helping a lot, well, then okay, sure. I can do better. I can do more good than this individual. Put me in the game, coach. I can do more good. Sure. However, more often than not, it's like, nah, give, I'm better with the power. I need more power. I'm good with the power. Give me the power. They suck with the power. Give it to me. Let me show you. I'll depower them. And that's just, uh, you know, come on. Okay. Number four, yes people. Yes people respond to the secondary executives or their spokespersons. Yes people obey rules as decided or dictated, but usually only those which the primary executors mean for them to understand. Yes people suffer from social conditioning and depowerment, but by social conditioning, including reward and punishment, they are encouraged to become productive enough to get the work of the power makers done. Yes, my lord. Yes, people are ideal to have power over because of their anticipated and agreeable obedience. Number five, zero people. It's difficult to describe zero people, Ingo says, because they're Enormous populations are not all one piece, not one fabric or pattern. They are at the bottom of the line, socially subjected to trenchant formats of depowerment, and have not the least idea of what is going on. We are changing that. Often, we may feel powerless, and hate power, or care very little for it. It's not for me, bro, whatever. And totally, sure, I get that, 100%. You can go your own way. But to understand power as it is, means you will be less affected by depowerment uh, attempts or to be sucked up in any one or other game of power. Ingo then says uh, that zero people are also the largest source of cheap labor and tax-collecting income. But zero people as individuals are considered by the power makers and level one and level two executives as, uh, you know, nothing, expendable, mere statistics. However, 
zero people collectively have enormous power. Because our populations number in the high thousands and millions. If we can get collectively upset as what happened in the French Revolution, stuff can go down and pull down an entire societal power structure. Now, in order to avoid or at least limit such activity, power makers and their primary executors offer up palliatives, or at least illusions of something like that. Palliatives are, you know, tasty treats in the middle of the grocery store. Get those cookies. Turn on the game. Watch your game show. Turn off your mind. Rest. And while there's space for rest, rest to grow in awareness. Populations of the five rules of power categories. For information regarding empowerment, it's important to have a general idea of the population ratios among the five foregoing categories. And to me, this is where the only place an equilateral triangle actually makes the most actual sense, actually. Because you got little bit, you know, little people, the power makers at the top. You got their primary executives underneath, you got the secondary executives a little bit bigger, and then you got the yes people. Pretty, pretty big chunk, not at the bottom, close to it. And then you got the zero people at the bottom, the biggest, the most. Ingo says power makers can't really have too many power primary executives because that would make overall control a little unpredictable. And primary executives can't afford to have too many secondary executives because they'll all be vying for positions of power. Like, no, put me, that's me, 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 me. I can do it better than you. It's all about management. Items to explore. In stealthy and silent ways, try to notice those who try to set up rules for power over others, but which rules do not apply to themselves. Gee, let's say Congress and insider trading if you're here in the U.S. Mm, how about some of those people working at the Federal Reserve? Also, uh, you know, front-end trading on information that they knew would affect the market. I think those are two pretty good examples, and I know you could think of more. Thank you for being here with me and thinking through this together. Double digits now, we're getting in the thick of it. And like I said, the only real rule for power seems to be claiming it as your own. You do that, perhaps the real game board begins to open up. Well, I for one am happy to be here playing this game of life with you. Why not play for personal empowerment? If we empower ourselves, inevitably, as we interact with each other, we'll be doing each other a service. Simply by empowering ourselves and by proxy, empowering others by self-empowerment. If I'm better off and I'm able to help you to help you become better off, and then you're helping others be better off because you're better off, the better off seems to have a kind of domino effect in spreading better offness. And with expanded awareness, we're all better off. Good times, everybody. Thanks for hanging. More power to you.